Welcome to the Creepy Culture Podcast, where we discuss horror movies, horror video games, and maybe even some scary music. I'm your host, Stephanie Chipman. And I'm your host, Tyler Clark. And this week, we'll be talking about the classic horror movies from the silver screen until the 80s. We're going to go through some influential movies of the eras and teach you a little bit about horror history. Well, and you guys just met us. So I figure we'll tell you a little bit about ourselves and how we got into horror. I'm Stephanie, and I'm a huge horror comedy fan. And I'm also a huge fan of monster movies. And uh, one of the first horror movies that I ever watched was Gremlins. Ooh. It was the first one that I remember being afraid of. Um, when I was walking upstairs from the dark basement, that's when I was running up the stairs from. I was imagining a gremlin right behind me. And... Never quite slept right after that. Um, but I did watch It as a young child, too, and that, that scared me quite a bit. What about you, Tyler? Well, I'm personally more into, like, the monster movies with all the special effects. I remember one movie that scared me so much, and it really shouldn't have, was Shaun of the Dead. It happened, the first time I ever saw it was me walking out into my living room really young. I, I couldn't have been more than like six or seven. And I had never seen anything like it. And the moment I walked out was the moment that all the zombies had broken through the window and were grabbing that glasses guy and ripping his like stomach open. And that scarred me for months after that. I ran screaming into my room. It was horrifying. Now watching it, it is one of my favorite movies. I love zombie movies so much, and it is a comedy, yeah. which I didn't know at the time. I was about to say, I was like, that movie made me laugh. I remember the commercials where they were like doing the I just remember seeing the commercials first before I saw that, but I have that on DVD now. I know. I love that movie now, and it makes me laugh so much every time I get to that scene because it looks so campy now, but young me thought that was real and was like, oh my, that guy just died. Why are my parents laughing? What is happening? So that was, that was a little confusing. I'm sure it made you feel differently about your parents. <laughs> are they the murderers? They're definitely guilty of something. <laughs> so um, I want to talk a little bit about um, silent films. Have you seen any silent films? Yes, I've seen the classic Nosferatu but that's about as far as my expertise goes in that subject. Um, I mean, honestly, I've seen Nosferatu as well. I've seen The Fall of the House of Usher. Um, they're a little bit difficult to get into. I think it's because we're used to watching films that are more interactive. They're in color. They're, they've got sound. They're, they just they use our senses differently. But I think it's interesting watching films like that and seeing the techniques that they used. Because it is there. They did think about those things. And there are those scary cinematic moments. Like when Nosferatu's going up the stairs and you can see his like long fingers. There, there is those scary moments happening. But it's just, it's difficult, I think, for us to appreciate it because of where we come from. Well, that was the beginning of everything. That's where 
the modern horror tropes really began and just produced some of the greatest horror movies afterwards because legends like John Carpenter really watched those movies and took from them. But, as we said, we're not exactly experts, so we did get an expert, a uh, film professor, Mr. Allman, Professor Allman. Or Buddy. Buddy. Um, he's a professor at Grand Valley State University. So if you're going there, this guy is your professor, nicest guy. But we're, uh, we asked him to come on and talk to us and tell us a little bit more about that era of films and what they meant to the culture. So please enjoy that interview. Professor Allman is going to talk to us a little bit about his experience with horror films and horror history. And we're going to start at the very beginning. But I think first we want to know a little bit more about your experience with horror films. Um, tell me about the first time you ever watched a horror movie. Uh, hi, folks. Uh, uh, thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Uh, um, of course, uh, I also must mention uh, my own uh, movie podcast, Two Geeks and a Git, which uh, you can get uh, pretty much anywhere you get the podcast. So uh, go check that out, folks. Uh, we've got lots of movie reviews on there, including horror films, lots of good horror films. So, uh, But enough of self, the self-aggrandizement. Uh, we have a question on the table here. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of an interesting question. I'm not really sure um, what the first horror movie I ever watched was. Um, I remember, I have very strong memories of uh, of being a kid, and I'm 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 of the uh, the the older generation that uh, uh, basically had but three channels to deal with uh, when I was uh, young and and getting out of school. Uh, but uh, where I lived, I was lucky enough to get a fourth channel. There was an independent channel from uh, Detroit that we were able to get uh, from where I lived, and uh, this particular channel had all kinds of great movies. They had this basically this sort of after school show, uh, uh, sort of this kind of a monster theater uh, that started about 3 p.m., you know, so it was definitely, you know, aimed at, at people getting people getting home from school. Uh, and I'd go right to my television pretty much as soon as I got out of school and went right to turn the channel on and to turn on the monster theater. Uh, so they showed all kinds of great movies. They would show uh you know planet of the apes movies and they would show on occasion kung fu movies and uh you know anything schlocky monster movies and things like that but uh uh they very often showed um uh godzilla movies which was a lot of fun and a lot of universal uh horror films that was you know so a lot of the originals a lot of the you know the original dracula and frankenstein and the wolfman and uh, all of those great movies and i just really enjoyed watching that it was just such a great you know break from school we just get out of school and we would uh, uh sit and uh, i would sit and watch these movies and just uh, developed a real sort of not only fascination with the characters and with the with the uh, movies themselves but uh with sort of where they came from and and why why everybody seems so interested in these in these creatures and i learned a little bit about film itself and that just sort of started the whole uh you know the whole uh, fascination with film just kind of film in general so uh unfortunately i don't remember the exact first film uh first horror film that i would say that i saw because i really i i remember always watching movies so uh, i don't really remember a time before that no, i mean that's fair i mean i 
grew up in a similar household. There wasn't a lot to watch. <laughs> Whatever you got on DVD, VHS, that's that's what there is. Right. So um, <laughs> so that's kind of where it started. Your like fascination with film and a little bit with horror, experimenting. Were you ever yeah. afraid? Uh, again, I love I love I love those uh, sort of movies. Um, I do I do sort of remember the first movie that I think really scared me. Um, I I didn't really get scared by movies. I was kind of more uh, just more fascinated with the movies. And uh, well, I you know I, I I would react to a jump scare like just about anybody else did. But uh, movies didn't really frighten me. As a lot of it was because I would read about how the movies were made, and that in some way kind of took a lot of the edge off. And you know, I go oh oh that guy this guy's arm's going to get ripped off. I know how they did that. You know, uh, and I would I knew that because I knew the techniques took a lot of that that sort of fear away but i do remember uh the first time i went to see poltergeist uh in the theater uh that was probably the first movie that ever really caused me to lose sleep uh something about the just the realism of the movie was a different kind of horror film that i'd never really seen before uh and uh uh, I guess and it's just so well done, you know, Steven Spielberg produced and uh, and everything. And uh, that probably is the first movie I think that ever really scared me. And uh, yeah, I think I kind of kind of had the lights on at night for a couple of nights after that one. <laughs> That's definitely a scary one. Oh, yeah. I don't know what it was about that one in particular, but for some reason, that's one of the first movies I think that ever really scared me. It's a long one, too. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. I've seen much longer. Uh, there's a lot of uh, foreign uh, horror films that are considerably longer than a, than a lot of our American films. So, uh, yeah, some of those are, whew, uh, some of those can be pretty pretty long and pretty frightening. Definitely. And, um, you know, I guess that's that's how it all started for you then was just watching this television show and catching anything you could get. Yeah, again, uh, you know, television was uh, readily available and, you know, I'm sort of of the first TV generation and, uh, you know, it was always there and uh, uh, that's where I first started watching these. And of course, whenever I got a chance, I'd go to see movies in the theater, but um, I, you never really got to see the classics in the theater much at that time because they had been out of the theater for decades. Uh, so I watched them on television and uh, they, you know, whenever there would be a movie marathon or something, you know, Dracula marathon on this Saturday, you know, I would go and, and check that out or, uh, you know, or something along those lines. And uh, I just found them very interesting. I talked, I found a lot of other people that also had the same interest and, uh, you know, it was great fun to talk to them and about, you know, what their, you know, particular bents were and, uh, uh, you know, and eventually just sort of developed into a, a, a love of film in general and, uh, you know, just sort of learning as much as I could about them. Well, um, we'd like to ask you a little bit about sort of the start of the horror genre and horror movies with um, okay. the early Lon Chaney movies, like Phantom of the Opera. Okay. That was nature. Okay. Um, yeah, that's kind of where a lot, a lot of the popular uh, horror movies of course horror movies are actually older than that uh you know um some of the very first uh uh subjects of uh you know some of the one reelers some of the very early movies uh even as as early as like the the 1890s and into the early 1900s a lot of those topics were often sort of horror based um mostly because horror was easy 
horror was easy to do uh, uh, back then. It was easy to to sort of use the this new, you know, form of media to scare the heck out of people because the media itself was scary. Uh, you know, people remember, it, it's kind of hard to uh, impress this on, on modern, uh, you know, modern moviegoers and uh, people who consume media now, but there was a time when movies were very different and no one had ever really seen anything like it before, uh, including, you know, the idea of moving pictures. Uh, and when, you know, some of the first movies were projected on the large screens, that scared the hell out of people just in and of itself. No one had ever really seen anything like that except for real life. Uh, you know, there's there's that sort of old uh, idea that one of the first, one of the early like Lumiere films, literally was just of a of a train pulling into a station, uh, and the way that the camera was angled, the train was kind of coming toward the camera. I mean, silent film. The whole film lasts about maybe eleven seconds long. Uh, you know, no sound on it or whatever, but there were people that were absolutely terrified by this because they had never seen anything like that apart from a real moving train. And they say the first time they ever showed this uh, film in public, people screamed in terror and jumped under their tables and, and, and pushed people aside to get out of the train that was clearly coming to kill them. Uh, you know, uh, because they'd never seen a train moving at that you know, size, except for in reality. So uh, people were really frightened by film at first. Of course, we got used to it, uh, but it took a little while before that that happened. And uh, some of the first storytellers would actually, uh, you know, sort of pick kind of grotesque and uh, macabre subjects to show uh, because that was easy to do. It was very easy to sort of scare people. Uh, one of the first, one of the first real. I guess you would call modern horror films uh, came out actually in 1915, a film called La Vampire, uh, which is essentially about a vampire. Um, uh, that used a lot of the techniques that were still being used today uh, in film. And uh, that was a rather terrifying movie. But yeah, it wasn't really until Lon Chaney, uh, uh, again, the man of a thousand faces that they called him, uh, really put together a lot of different techniques, including makeup techniques that no one had ever seen before and uh, created the, the Phantom of the Opera, uh, you know, and uh, uh, films of that nature, some of the very first popular uh, films. And, and they were huge box office successes. People took to them immediately. Uh, and uh, it actually led to a restoration of, uh, uh, of uh, Phantom of the Opera in 1930, uh, one of the very first films to ever use technicolor by the way uh, even though it wasn't a color film the the, the uh, backgrounds were in color so like for instance all of the scenes in the uh, in the sewer uh, were all tinted green you know and all of the uh, all of the uh, 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 scenes on the street were tinted yellow and so on and all the scenes in the opera house were tinted brown so you really caught this kind of idea of the different environments even without color you know even without shooting on color film uh, that restoration did even better than the original film. And they just said, oh yeah, this is a thing. Uh, you know, uh, people are going to pay a lot of money to see, you know, these grotesque and, you know, uh, you know, thus the, the universal monster cycle began, you know.
And uh, that, of course, well, you know, you guys know as much as anybody else how popular that was. So. Uh, but yeah, people just people just love those things, and uh, it really was because they, they went to see them and made a lot of money. I mean, quite frankly, that's what movies are all about. It's about making money, uh, and they made a lot of money. So, uh, and they were also fairly cheap. Uh, that's another thing. A lot of monster movies were actually made fairly cheaply. So there's a great sort of uh, profit ratio. Didn't have to spend a whole lot of money, but made a whole lot of money you know, equals more profit. Yeah, they can see why studios would want to do that a little bit more. And why do you think um, so many people were drawn to these types of movies? Oh, wow, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty deep question, uh, quite frankly. And there's people still trying to figure that one out. What is it about horror movies that people really seem to like, whether it was, you know, back in the 1920s or today? Uh, and we're still trying to work that one out um i have my own theories and uh there's some other theories that i subscribe to but um some of which you guys might agree with and maybe some of you you might want i mean you guys obviously have a, a fascination of some kind with movies right with these yes. horror movies well there must be some reason i mean you must be able to point to some reason why do i like you know these kind of movies as opposed to something else and uh again we're still sort of working that one out but uh uh, some of the very more interesting theories, at least that I've come across, uh, one of the idea that we, we sort of have this, you know, very savage nature, we have this sort of very bestial nature within us, within all of us, and now we've sort of been trained to repress it and, you know, not bring it out in public because that's not polite and, you know, uh, that, that's not what, you know, uh, uh, adult people do and, uh, that's not what we do in society. We, you know, we don't, you know, and we don't indulge in these things. Uh, so we sort of learn to repress them and such. But um, when we see a monster movie, something that really shows something grotesque, something macabre, something, uh, something off kilter, it kind of feeds that savage creature within us. Uh, and that actually gives us a little bit of joy. It gives us a little bit of uh, relief in some ways and it actually sort of indulges those uh emotions uh in a safe environment and that's another thing i think that horror movies offer us we can root for the bad guys we can you know rack up the body counts we can enjoy it when we see a particularly gruesome kill or something uh and sort of indulge that savage beast within us but we're perfectly safe we're sitting in a movie theater we're sitting in our own homes nobody's getting hurt we're not in any danger. Nobody's in any danger. So it's completely safe. And uh, we can uh, we can sort of indulge that 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 savage beast within us in this really in a safe environment. And, uh, you know, there are those that say that that's kind of, that has kind of a purging effect, that that has kind of a uh, what they call a catharsis uh, that uh, we sort of feel better after we see something like that, just by kind of purging those negative emotions in a safe environment kind of helps us to feel a little bit better about those things. Uh, so that's, that's a very big uh, uh, theory right now about why, you know, why, why, why we're so fascinated with these things. Uh, they also represent fears. I mean, great monster movies all have something uh, to do with the fears, either individual fears, personal fears, human fears, or societal fears. And this is why I think we see different kind of monsters uh, and different kind of horror movies through the through the decades. 
why we're fascinated with vampires for a little while. Then all of a sudden it's zombies. Then it's like, you know, really grotesque splatter porn movies, uh, you know, and uh, well, then we go back to zombies. Then we go back to vampires. You know, why is this? Why do we why do we see these cycles of monsters? And that's I think there's a lot of that has to do with our societies, our our society changes. Um, you know, people ask. Uh, I hope I'm not talking too much. Uh, no, people not. ask, uh, uh, why are why was were people why were people so fascinated with a lot of the German existential movies that were coming out? Uh, uh, you know, those German expressionist movies like uh, Cabinet of Doctor Kilgari and uh, you know Nosferatu and you know some of those really grotesque you know movies that dealt with things like death and dismemberment and disease and insanity you know people think well why would you why would you watch that well think of a society that that was producing those films we're coming out of what they called weimar germany which was seeing the rise of nazism seeing the rise of fascism seeing violence every day in the streets uh it was their reality uh you know and and those movies sort of represented those fears if you know uh sort of societal fears uh you know again this was the rise of of you know the third reich you know was beginning to happen and, and people that scared the hell out of a lot of people so we sort of reflect that in movies um you know we see that there's a lot of uh, uh movies from the 1950s we see a lot of schlocky alien movies right uh, where the aliens come down to earth and they uh, uh, they replace humans right uh, and you never know who the alien is because they replace and they look exactly like your uncle or they look exactly like the guy at the drugstore or whatever and you can't tell them except for that they're emotionless right they have no emotions and all they want to do is 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 sap your free will right that's what these aliens in the 1950s do well, what does that sound like? What people were afraid of back then, the Red Scare, communism. That's what they were afraid of, that communists had infiltrated every aspect of American society. And who knows who might be a, a communist? Might be the guy at the drugstore, might be your uncle, might be your brother. And what, how do we see them? As absolutely soulless, passionless, and want nothing more than to recruit you. No wonder we started to reflect these fears in these schlocky monster movies, uh, you know. And this we can we can track this all the way up to you know the movies that we watch today, uh, you know, and the movies that are popular today, like Get Out and uh, you know A Quiet Place, and uh, and now you know look at some of the other movies that are that are coming out that uh, really sort of reflect our fears today. Uh, you know, I think that's a big part of it too. I think that's another reason that we're so fascinated by these. Well, while a lot of people did like these movies, obviously we love these movies. There were some people that thought they were inappropriate, thought they were wrong. Oh yeah, that that happens no matter what. There, so again, some of the very first movies that ever came out, there was a faction of people that thought this is horrible. This is going to be the end of society. Um, uh, one of the uh, films I show, one of the very short films I show in my uh, film history class. Uh, it's again a completely silent film. It's about 11 seconds long. It was one of the very first uh, uh, films that they showed uh, 
uh, in exhibitions. It's literally just a, a man and a woman uh, who are uh, reacting or who are uh, reenacting a uh, scene from a local play. We don't know who the actors are. We don't know what the play is. But at the end of this 11 second film, they kiss. And that's it. And you would not believe the backlash that happened in society because of this awful smut that people were seeing on the screen. Oh my gosh, this is the end of society that we have this terrible smut and that people are going to see. And there were people that picketed this stuff. I mean, it was literally a man and a woman kissing for about two seconds. That's it. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's always been a faction of people that, that, that will backlash against almost anything. And, uh, and sort of the more that they, that those things get indulged, the more that they're, that people feel that they have to, you know, uh, raise arms. And what's really funny is that a lot of those people have never seen the movies that they are protesting. Uh, that's, that's one of the biggest jokes of all. So you were talking about the different like phases of, uh, what was popular, but yeah. the universal monsters have always sort of had a staying power. Why do you think those characters had such staying power? Well, um, it might it might sort of look that way from our perspective here in the 21st century. It might look like it because we've gone back to them time and time again, and that's and almost every sort of genre is cyclical. Um, you know, we'll see a genre that gets popular for a while, then it sort of wanes in popularity, but then something brings it back. Uh, uh, you know, I know you, you guys, we're not talking about Westerns on this uh, podcast, but that's a good example. There's sort of been Western cycles that got really popular for a while, like in the 1920s and the 1930s. Then they went away for a while and they got really popular again in the 1950s. Then they went away for a while and they got really popular in the 70s. And then they went away for a while and they got popular for a little while in the 90s. Now we're kind of on a downside, although who knows, maybe, you know, uh, some TV shows and such that are popular might bring it back. But uh, horror movies definitely follow uh, this particular cycle. And uh, while horror, well, the, the Universal Monsters were really popular in the 1930s and in the 1940s even, uh, people actually kind of started to get tired of them by the late 40s. Um, most people sort of cite the film uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein as kind of the unofficial end uh, of the uh, of the universal cycle. And while it's an absolutely wonderful movie, and I and I recommend it for anybody, um, when a genre starts sort of lending itself to to parody, that usually means it's kind of on, it's kind of on the out it's kind of on the, going on the, on the outside. Uh, and that's kind of what happened. By that, by that point, we were sort of laughing at these monsters, and they didn't really have that much, uh, uh, you know, ability to scare us that much. Well, we'd seen them for, you know, 18 years. We, we'd had the, that whole cycle, and we'd pretty much seen just about everything that we, you know, that we thought we could see. So they kind of went away for a while, and we didn't really have a whole lot of those kind of monster movies. We had some different sort of ones. 1940s, we didn't have a whole lot of monster movies, really until they dropped the bomb. When the bomb dropped in 1945, that scared the hell out of everybody on the planet. Uh, and within five years or so, we started to see all kinds of radiation movies and nuclear warning movies, and you know, and it was Godzilla. I mean, Godzilla, you know, which the original film, don't get me wrong, is a horror film. The original Japanese film Gojira 
uh, is a horror film. Uh, it's not really the schlocky, you know, guy in a rubber suit, you know, squishing, you know, uh, uh, toy tanks around uh, with that, that sort of became later on. The original film, it was really quite frightening. And well, when you think about it, Godzilla basically came from the reaction of dropping nuclear weapons in, in Japan. Uh, uh, you know, because that's what Godzilla is. Godzilla is a, is a nuclear force of nature that literally can't be stopped destroying entire cities and he represented that japanese fear of uh you know of that happening uh as you, if you've never seen the original japanese version you should you absolutely should see it it's much darker and much scarier than uh than uh, uh the original than the, the films that, that came later on uh so it kind of went out of phase for a while but then uh, we kind of decided we wanted it back. We had new film techniques. We had color films. Uh, we had all kinds of neat stuff. And so uh, a little uh, studio in Britain called Hammer uh, decided to bring a lot of these movies back. And uh, they did so in this kind of very interesting way uh, that made them popular again. And all of a sudden, you know, Frankenstein and Dracula and the Wolfman became popular through Hammer films. Uh, so then they became popular again. And, um, then, you know, after a little while, they sort of, that, that sort of waned and our, our interest kind of goes up and down. So, uh, we still have them. We're still sort of interested in them. Uh, we're starting to get interested in Frankenstein type movies again. Uh, of course the vampires had their little, uh, 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 their little uptick and, uh, some would say, uh, rather problematic uptick with, for instance, Twilight and those other teen movies. Uh, you know, maybe that sort of uh, signified the end of the vampire cycle, the current vampire cycle. Uh, zombies, still very popular. And of course, that's, uh, uh, you know, uh, that's probably because they sort of represent consumerism and they represent, you know, this never-ending wave of of things for which we must survive. We have to get together and we have to survive with what little we have. You know, they can represent everything from terrorism to eco disasters, uh, which is, you know, survivalism. That's what we're all about right now in America. But uh, yeah, they're still around and we still are fascinated with them. But uh, uh, yeah, they've their their interest has sort of gone up and down through through the years. But uh, yeah, there's just something to be said about the classics, uh, you know, uh, and of course, not uh, 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 nostalgia also sort of uh, has a big factor in those too. Uh, we like the stuff that's come before. So uh, yeah, in some ways they've been they've been around uh, for a long time. But yeah, their interest, their 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 uh, our interest in them has kind of gone up and down in peaks and valleys uh, throughout the decades. So it's kind of interesting. Um, you said that in the '60s we were um, you know we had the Hammer films and we saw oh, the resurgence, yeah. but in the 70s we saw possession films we saw psychological oh, yeah. horror films why do you think that is well 70s were a very interesting time um this was a time uh when um uh when the, when the generation before which was all about ask not what you what you what uh you can do uh you know ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country Right. That was the Kennedy generation. And that was the, the 60s. And let's what can we do to make America a better place? Well, in the 70s, things started to change. People started beginning to ask, well, what can my country do for me? Uh, what's in it for me? Uh, it became what we call the me decade. 
uh, people got very disillusioned in the government. And this is when, uh, you know, we saw, you know, the problems with Nixon. Watergate happened. One of the biggest influences is Vietnam. Uh, Vietnam was one of the first wars where we really got to watch things happen on our television every evening. Uh, and we got to see how really disgusting war is. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of people didn't, you know, thought we shouldn't be there. And, uh, you know, uh, of course, this is toward the end of the civil rights movement as well. Feminism. We were in all kinds of an uproar. Uh, you know, the, the country was in a sort of all kinds of crises. You know, what a surprise that all of a sudden our films got much darker uh, and much more about uh, violence and confinement uh, and isolation. Because that's how we felt uh, as a country, uh, you know. So, and again, we see that reflected in our in our films. We started to see, yeah, you know, much darker films and these counterculture films uh, that began cropping up, counterculture horror films uh, that began cropping up. Uh, so, yeah, again, it's 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 really tied to things like you know what was going on at the time. I think, uh, you know, Vietnam and uh, you know Watergate and uh, other elements of. Uh, uh, of society that, uh, you know, really, really made us a very jaded country. Uh, and when jaded people want to go to the movies, they want to see movies that are going to, uh, that are, are going to sort of reflect that. Um, so that's why we started seeing, you know, movies. No wonder we started seeing, you know, really horrible, uh, you know, they get what they call the splatter porn movies, the, you know, the uh, uh, really uh, hyper violent films. We started seeing those right around the time that uh, we were in, uh, you know, uh, the Kuwaiti war and right, right around the time that, you know, the, the scandal of Abu Ghraib came out. Uh, suddenly we became very interested in that whole torture porn because that's what we're seeing on our televisions every day. Uh, you know, and when, and when you're seeing that, you know, in reality, you need to have that sort of, uh, you know, sort of uh, pumped up if you want to go to the movies to feel scared because we're already scared watching it on TV in reality, you know, uh, in order to get the high, you need to have something that, that goes up even above that. So we start to see like, you know, the Saw series and, uh, you know, uh, films like that, which some people claim are not really horror movies. Uh, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but there's a there's an argument amongst the critics that those aren't really horror movies, but uh, yeah, you know, whatever. I can I can see it either way. Uh, but yeah, I think that's I think that's what sort of causes those things. And thank you so much for sharing your insight. I mean, I think that's all the time we have for today. But you make me really wish I had chosen to go to Grand Valley instead. Because <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm learning just tons and tons listening to you talk. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm sure my students don't feel the same way. I'm actually <laughs> positive they do. You teach a killer course with all that. Oh, well, thanks. Yes, it's, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It gets those people to sort of see things from a different light. And, um, and I think it enhances our enjoyment of film. So uh, particularly horror film. Definitely. And I just, I just really want to say thank you for coming on our podcast and talking oh, to absolutely. us. It's my pleasure. I'm so glad, to, I'm glad to come on anytime. So. Well, thank you so much. And um, I'm definitely going to have to check out your podcast. Please two, do. What is it? Two, two geeks and a git. Two geeks and a git. G I T. It stands for geek in training. 
you can even ask Alexa now to play uh, our uh, our podcast. Just ask her to play Alexa, play an episode of Two Geeks in a Git, and it will do so. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I, yeah, I isn't that isn't that Alexa. cool? Yeah, yeah so isn't that made cool? it big. Yeah, I guess so. And uh, what what courses are you teaching next semester? Uh, next semester, I'm not sure. We haven't we haven't got our schedule actually done for next semester. So, pandemic has kind of made everybody a little shy about uh, scheduling things too quickly. So, um, next semester we don't really ha we haven't really solidified the schedule yet. So, um, uh, we're, I'm not really sure. Well, well, well if you're at Grand Valley, you're going to want this guy as your teacher. Oh well, yes. thank you. I appreciate that. Well, um, thank you so much for being on Creepy Culture and. Please let us know if you need anything. Seriously, like uh, if you need an expert on your podcast, we'll be here. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I'll talk to the other guys. All right. Well, thank you so much, and I hope you have a wonderful night. Thanks. I hope you do too. Thank you again, Professor Allman or Buddy, for taking the time to speak with us about early horror films. And don't forget to check out Buddy's own podcast, Two Geeks and a Git. That's G I T, Geek and Training. And it's a movie review podcast, and they compare two different movies. And you definitely need to check it out. It's pretty good. It really is. They have so many episodes. They really and they do. They talk about Gremlins. So, just saying. There you go. You signed on. Well, <laughs> Professor Allman sort of got the silent film era, a little bit of the '30s for us. So I think we should really start at the '60s, which is where Alfred Hitchcock released Psycho in 1960, one of the most influential horror movies ever to come out. Really up the ante on everything done before. The Universal Monsters never had that shower scene with that striking music, and the amount of blood in it was also amped up. Did you know Jamie Lee Curtis is related to the actress in Psycho? I did not. It's pretty crazy. I guess Final Girl sort of runs in the... <laughs> family huh i guess so i don't i don't think um well, i don't think she was a, the final girl she was not the final girl i don't know uh, a kill <laughs> jamie lee curtis wasn't killed yet well they're gonna milk those halloween movies as much as they can but um in terms of psycho it was again much darker than anything before it was quite the turning point for horror movies unlike the Hammer Horror movies at the time that were just sort of gothic, not quite as frightening. Um, still great movies. Christopher Lee, a great Dracula. Good Lord. And um, following Psycho, everything tried to up the ante, up the shock factor. You couldn't... You had to scare people more than Psycho. That was the thing to beat at the time. So, and... After that, Hitchcock with the birds. Uh, I love that scene where you see the corpse of the guy on the ground. His eyes were pecked out by the birds. That was probably one of the most horrific things out at the time. It really just upped everything. And you know, Tyler, I actually, I have a beef against birds. I really am. I think they're creepy. They got those beady little eyes. I will never have a pet bird. They freak me out. And if that is your phobia, that is a great movie to watch. Um, Birds actually holds up decently well. Some of it's a little goofy, but, I mean, it could, it could happen. Birds start attacking people. Um, and then, you know, 
Vietnam and the growth of counterculture, uh, Rosemary's Baby, classics like that. And then we got 1968 Night of the Living Dead by Romero. That is a classic and a trendsetter, I guess. A black male as the lead character, the main character, the hero, was not really common at that point. So that was very progressive. That was, um, it, it made you feel something, especially when, spoiler alert, at the end, he is senselessly killed. He survives all of the zombies. And when salvation is there, the police shoot him through the window. Now, that was definitely a little bit of a political something there that Romero was trying to get across. And definitely part of the counterculture movement. Have you seen Night of the Living Dead, the original? I haven't. So thanks for the spoilers. I'm sorry. Um, No, you're good. I'm not... Uh, the 60s movies really weren't my focus. They're not some of my favorite films. Um, I'm definitely more of a 70s girl. 70s, 80s. Especially love the 90s. But that's for a different episode. Well, Romero has some classics that will come up later as well. But I definitely suggest going to watch that one. And then into the 70s, which a little more of your expertise, things got a little more R-rated. More sex, more violence, more blood. That's where we have The Hills Have Eyes in uh, 1977 and The Last House on the Left, 1972. Both very vulgar movies. They had a lot more than anything beforehand. There was rape, murder, a lot of very things hard to sit through. They weren't fun. Uh, That's when a little bit the audience started to turn against horror movies. You had some media that would condemn these movies, saying that they weren't fun anymore. We, we were no longer in rubber suits, creature of the Black Lagoon era. It was a little real, a little too real, some might say. No, I, I've never sat through either of those films more than once. It was extremely difficult to sit through those films, especially, I think, as a woman. It's, it's hard to see that. And I don't think I've I, I don't think I've ever been able to I'll ever be, be able to bring myself to watch them again. Even by today's standards, those movies push it. They push the shock value. They push. They make you feel something, which some might say is indicative of a good movie, something that makes you feel a certain way. But the average moviegoer doesn't really want to feel that way. That's a different type of horror. And then. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974, Toby Hooper. That movie kicked off the whole, like, gore, horror, blood splatter. That movie was very intense. It was psychological. That dinner scene is insane. I mean, I love this film. I um, It was the first horror movie I ever watched by myself. Really? It was. And so it feels very special to me because that's the first time I ever felt like I could do that alone and enjoy it by myself. I did ask my dad to watch it with me, but he did refuse. <laughs> um, I remember, I think the shocking, most shocking part for me, and spoilers, spoiler alert, um, when they kill the guy in the wheelchair. Yes. Very, it was a very quick part of the scene, and it was just, I didn't see it coming at all. And there's just, there's a certain grit to that movie. There is a certain 
ugliness, a dirtiness to it that is really appealing to what the subject actually is. There's something about that movie. It's definitely worth a watch if you've never seen it. You, you gotta see it. The original. Yes, yes. The later remakes leave a little to be desired. Yeah. But speaking of the wheel wheelchair, I don't think there were a lot of wheelchair-like bound actors in horror movies before this. I think that is a pretty early example of one. And also, horror movie villains with mental illness. Leatherface, abused by his father. You hear him, like, whimpering. He doesn't say any words in the movie. Um, That movie was also sort of, like, a metaphor. You hear it sometimes in there, like, there was... Um, unemployment at the slaughterhouse. Things were becoming more, like, mechanical. Uh, jobs were being lost. Um, they go to the gas station. There's no gas. Things like that. Th- th- just the sense of insanity in that movie as well. I-, I mentioned the dinner scene. That felt so real. Just her anguish, the camera angles, zooming into her eyes, just them laughing and taunting. Those were just evil people oh the grandpa he just looks so leathery and nasty like he's already dead but not quite it's just it really makes you feel bad for this girl because she's in this she's surrounded by this world this like almost unreal world and we feel like we're her because she's from a normal world and it just bizarre bizarre scene very memorable yes and that had a profound effect on a lot of viewers there. That movie was very controversial. Some applauded it for just the pure shock and what it tackled. Some hated it for just the bloodshed and animalistic beings in there. And that was really the start of like savage cinema and that type of horror that most would agree is far more frightening than the monsters of old, the Draculas, and the Frankensteins. And then we have, up next, The Exorcist. That was 1973, the year prior, William Friedkin. That was a very, like, sort of religious horror. Devils and priests, and it sort of almost attacked people's religion, too. Because a poor, innocent little girl in America who just had like the perfect life beforehand and was well behaved and then all of a sudden she's possessed then she's cussing, she's swearing spewing pea soup across the room her head is spinning around that was very frightening to people who had the American dream and it's like, well could this happen to me? Well and there's some um, you know, legitimacy issues with that as well, Is, is that true? Like there are obviously true instances of real exorcisms and i think that's part of it that's part of the fear is that it is believed to be true by some and some not so there really is that kind of argument it's not like we're talking about a werewolf movie we are talking about something that really could be something that could happen to somebody and it is kind of a religious issue as well yes especially if you're religious this movie must have scared you If you truly believed in everything, this movie would have been terrifying. This could happen to your mom, your dad, anyone. So this movie sparked a lot of just talk amongst people. 
there were some religious groups against the movie. It was very controversial. And another 70s movie that is very controversial. Oh, no. Wow, 70s is where the slasher age was born with Halloween. Halloween was revolutionary. Yes, that is true. Uh, Halloween was... Late 70s. Late 70s. 79. 79, John Carpenter. I, I think it's pretty well agreed that that is the birth of the first, like, real slasher. The first slasher that we recognize as a slasher. Michael Myers with the uh, William Shatner mask painted white. Just terrifying at that time. Because, again, that could happen. Because that was, like, just a person. That wasn't supernatural. It wasn't a werewolf. It was a guy who put on a mask and was crazy and just killed people. Um, and that obviously sparked just the trend of uh, slasher movies to follow. Well, they invented the formula. The, oh yeah, teenagers going off, doing their, their thing. Oh, they're doing bad stuff. So they get to die one by one. How many films have you seen even recently that follow that same formula? I've seen quite a few. Yes, slashers have become very popular, and I don't think there, there's always been like a slasher. There always has been. Uh, now we have those, what, what is one? There's, trying to think what it's called. There was like those Hellfest movies. Oh, those I loved happened. Hellfest. Yeah, I saw that That was theaters. good. That was, that was a slasher, wasn't it? It was yeah. considered one. one was, you know, getting them one by one. They're doing naughty things. Yeah, I mean, that, that follows the formula. I think. Yes, and we, of Not course we built, built upon the slasher genre, I guess, and changed it in different ways. Uh, don't breathe. The the guy they break into his house and he's blind, and he's like he's killing them off one by one by hearing alone, and it's like this very terrifying thing. But getting back into the seventies, another movie that came out that was very influential was Jaws. Yeah, I. It took me a long time to watch Jaws. I wasn't impressed by it. It sounds really awful, but it's very slow in the beginning. It is a slow burn, but at the time, that was one of the, uh, that was a universal infested, or invested millions of dollars into that movie. It was a Steven Spielberg movie, and it was one of the first horror movies that um, got a lot of money put into it. It was like the first movie that was horror that reached wide, like, output, I guess. That one was anticipated. People were ready for that movie to come out, and it did scare people because, I mean, who, everyone who swims in the ocean is afraid of a shark coming, so why not a giant shark that can take out a boat? I mean, the animatronic for the shark was actually really cool. I think I read somewhere that it didn't work very well. Um, but it was really cool. This scene was awesome, but it just takes so long for you to see the shark. Yeah. And I know, um, obviously we're from a generation that's a little bit more impatient and short attention span. So I think that's part of it. I'm no, I'm no stranger to that myself, but it was a little bit difficult for me to personally watch, but the story was really good. Yes. I do agree with that. In terms of history, that was what sort of let people recognize horror as something that can have an A movie budget. Before that, every other horror movie had sort of been like B movies. They weren't as well received. And that one sort of sparked things off. 
to to allow movies horror movies to have more budget and I guess better representation. And then we have Carrie, nineteen seventy six, Stephen King book. That movie was very influential, I think. Um, well, the abusive religious parent was huge. I feel like that her having a backstory, she wasn't an evil person. She didn't go in there intending to like cause mayhem and kill people, but I think one of the biggest things that I feel like is influential in that film is that she's not all the way good or all the way bad, and she's kind of a villain that we can relate to. I think we've all felt like a Carrie at some point. Yes, and sympathy and horror is not new. That started way back in Frankenstein, that uh, famous scene where he's on the banks of, I, I think it's like a river or something, and there's a little girl there. And he goes up to her, and you're like, oh, God, he's going to kill that little girl, isn't he? And no. And I, th- I think he plays with the little girl, or she gives him a flower and asks him, like, who he is. And you get to see the softer side of the villain, which some would say that, like you said, is sort of a carry sort of situation, where you can empathize with the horror movie sort of villain. I guess Carrie doesn't really fall in the villain category, but... Somewhere. I mean, she did do questionable things oh, yeah. and hurt people. She was pushed towards it a little bit, but she she did some bad things. I mean, and Frankenstein did kill that little girl by accident. He didn't understand. But, yeah, he did. It, it's just it, you do feel that sympathy for them and that emotional tie towards them, and we start seeing that more and more. And I think having complicated feelings towards a character is something that horror movies like to do. And especially in that time period, that was sort of like women's fight for equality in that time. So to have a woman in horror who was like, you sympathize, but she's the villain, that was a a strange movie to come out at that time. It it sort of baffled people because that was a very powerful woman in there and a lot of men were scared of that and hence uh, the women equality movement men being scared of women having more power that sort of came out at that like perfectly weird time well now Carrie starts the film with um, Carrie getting her first period Mm -hmm. and not understanding what it is so we have this like also this tie to like lack of women's education yes because not only are schools at the time not talking about it, but some parents don't talk about it. So this poor girl thinks she's dying when she's just having her first period. Yes. So very different kind of horror movie than a lot of the other ones we were seeing. Now, Alien, 1979, Ridley Scott. You were talking about slow movies and Jaws. This is a slow burn, but I love this movie. Sigourney Weaver, oh my gosh. The suspense was great in that film, and the mystery of it all. That's what I liked about it. It keeps you going, whereas Jaws, you're like, this is kind of a happy movie a little bit. In the beginning, you're like, oh, okay. I mean, they live on Amity Island in Jaws. (laughs) That's true. Friendship Island. And Alien, it's like sci-fi, horror. It's such an interesting background. It's such an interesting setting. When they first went into that alien spaceship with all the eggs, 
it was just so it's such an interesting place i would love to have like seen that set it just looked fantastic but yeah so a alien was just fantastic and a um a very influential movie honestly and sort of really pushed sci-fi movies that's sort of the end of the 70s era, or at least all we're going to talk about. There's Dawn of the Dead, Amityville Horror, and the Stephen King just craze of Cujo, Christine, The Shining. Um, Ooh, not talking about The Shining really hurts. Yes. But we don't have... We can't talk about everything. Yes. I would suggest seeing those movies, specifically The Shining and Amityville, Night of the Living Dead, a little more goofy. They're in a mall. It's uh, it's mainly about consumerism, really. I really liked that film. Yes. And The Shining's the only movie that only horror movie to ever give me nightmares as an adult. Oh, really? I fell asleep in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I was very disappointed by the ending. Oh. And then the eighties, we have uh, Reagan. We have anti-conformity, and we have the movie They Live by John Carpenter in nineteen eighty-eight about all the aliens undercover and it's sort of like a one-of-us type situation that um, really fueled people's fear of, like, everyone conforming. And it was very... It's a very political movie, I would say. Even John Carpenter is on record stating that it was very political and that he did not like Reagan. But then we got the slasher craze. Friday the 13th in 1980. Well, this is where things get more bloody. Halloween was not a very bloody film. It, it It's surprisingly clean for a slasher film. But, um, you know, one of the first films to kind of more directly copy Friday the 13th, they purposely made it bloodier to make it different, to make it more exciting. So we're going to see that more in the 80s where there's quite a bit more actual blood scene and more gore. Yes, Friday the 13th, each one gets more bloody until about, I want to say, fourth or fifth one. And then we start getting some censorship, which was also an issue with the blood. I just watched the sixth movie. They cut out so many of the kills. It's like off screen or you don't see anything. And there were some classic kills in there. But yes, the first Friday the 13th, if you don't know, doesn't have Jason in it. It's his mother. It's his mother killing... Spoiler. Well, these movies have come out many years ago, and it's mentioned in Scream. I was about to say, I was like, ah, oh, you didn't get that trivia question in Scream? <laughs> you didn't know it was his mom? Exactly. And we should talk about Scream at some point. That'll be in episode five. It. Episode yes. five, we'll talk about Scream. That is going to be around... 90s to 2000s horror movies. And we're going to talk more about my favorite horror comedy. Yes. A little bit of Shaun of the Dead in there. Well, and we have some horror comedy in the 80s, too. We have Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I mean, how is that not a horror comedy? We yes. have clowns. Horror comedy, one, I guess, not really a horror movie, but Ghostbusters. That yeah. came out at that time. That was 1985. Gremlins, 1984, that has some humor in it. Yeah, I mean, and Gremlins 2 is more of the horror comedy, but you can't deny that Gremlins doesn't have funny scenes in it, like um, where they're watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and they're singing along. Like, how is that not the goofiest thing you've ever seen? Yes, and then um, also Evil Dead 1 and 2, 
1981 and two is 1987 by Sam Raimi. The first one was sort of uh, almost like a proof of concept. It was, uh, it was meant to be the first movie. And then Evil Dead 2 is basically a remake of Evil Dead 1. And there's, that movie is so bloody for just absurdity's sake. It's so disturbing. It, like blood geysers out of the wall that just completely ruined the set. They had to take do that the very last day so they didn't ruin everything. And um, that movie is so absurd that it is funny. There's like a whole scene of laughing. A lamp is laughing at him. It's just absurdity. Well, and, um, you know, apparently I'm told that an American werewolf in London is a horror comedy, informally. I never saw it as that. Neither did I. Um, I think, I thought it was more serious, but I guess I could see how it's kind of goofy, but... A little goofy, but I, I wouldn't call it a comedy. It's no. more of a horror movie than a comedy, but I could see how some might interpret it that. Now, the thing, I, I'd like to touch on that one a little bit. Uh, that one was 82, a little earlier, but... It was a remake of a very early sort of silver screen movie that John Carpenter, uh, he remade it. That movie is fantastic. I love the, the thing. The effects in With that Kurt movie. Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, his beautiful beard and his cowboy hat in that movie. Um, and that movie is about a alien that shapeshifts, so you can't trust anyone. You can't trust your friends. And it's isolation. That movie... Very good. The practical effects alone, that movie is so fantastic. Oh, with the dogs. and I always think about the scene where they're in the barn with the dogs. And the thing was disguised as one of the dogs. Man, was that terrifying and horrifying. I'm a big fan of dogs. Love dogs. That That's really upsetting to watch. But the practical effects were just amazing. I don't feel like the, the current CGI... Phase I feel like we're going through right now is anywhere close to as good as those old practical effects. Yes, and if you want to talk about some effects, we can talk about Extendo Arms Freddy in Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984. That goofy scene of him extending his arms out and they just keep on going. I don't know how people found that one scary, that specific scene, but Freddy is such a classic, such a classic slasher. He had the quips, he had the weird, like, effects, because he's in the dream world, he can do everything different. There's a part where he, welcome to prime time, and slams a TV on someone's head. Well, that's not from the first film, but yes. yeah, in one of the films. In one of the films. But just the series in general is such a classic. When the first movie was particularly interesting, I felt... Because they were trying to f follow the formula of Halloween. Let's not let's not make that any more clear. But yeah, they, they were trying to go with like that, oh, we got all these college kids or these high school kids and we're going to kill them off one by one. But it was different. Freddy is next level. Freddy is in your dreams. He's in your head. How do you kill something that's in your dreams? And... If you're like me, I mean, nightmares come from just suggestion alone. I, you talk about a nightmare in front of me. I'm worried that I'm going to get a nightmare. <laughs> it is also so different from every, sl like most slashers before him. Jason doesn't talk. Michael doesn't talk. 
Freddy, he's quite a talkative guy sometimes. Yeah, he'll even say the B word. Yes. I feel like some people wanted to be him. Did you ever get that watching that movie? Not like kill people, but just like he was powerful. He was doing stuff. And in a sense, I feel like some people sort of latched onto that because he is such a pop culture icon. And I think he is so recognizable. I think a lot of people really resonated with that. There were so many of those movies that happened. They could start to fall off a little at the end, get a little more goofy. But I, I would say the first one has a little bit of comedy in there. I like Dream Warriors a lot. Um, where they're in the psych ward. That one definitely has more comedy. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, but I feel like the deaths were more creative. Um, not to say that Johnny Depp's death was not creative. Apparently, they had, um, in the first film, when they killed Johnny Depp, and they had all that blood coming out, they filmed, they had a room that was upside down. And they actually spilt so much blood that they had to, like, stop production because it flooded. <laughs> the like set because there was so much fake blood so uh, they really really put in the effort for that film and you can tell besides the end yes the end uh i believe they ran out of like money the budget no i mean it was it was a um conflict of interest i think the directors and the producers were having arguments over because okay. they had they filmed multiple endings yes i remember there was something yes and um i think it was the director um that ultimately chose an ending because they were literally like showing people they were doing sh- like light showings without an ending so they they just p- he picked his favorite one which nobody else liked and i also hate where they pull her through the door yeah it looks so fake it's like the worst effect. effect in the whole film, and that's how they finished it. I like the one where they're in the car, and they got, like, they, like, you know, roll up the, um, they're in a convertible, and the yes. convertible top comes up, and it looks like Freddy's sweater, yes. and then Freddy gets them. I like that one. But uh, there were some issues. I, I feel like uh, each film has their in- internal issues that people just don't know about because, you know, every, every staff has issues. Yeah, I mean, that movie is fantastic. I recommend um, I recommend that movie to anyone in horror. That is such a great movie, slasher movie especially. Um, and, you know, and again, talking about effects, I mean, that's a big deal in the 80s. And some of my 80s has my best effect stuff. My favorite special effects movies, like The Fly. That is a great one. Um, big fan. Uh, I think some of the last few scenes especially were just horrific. Even The Fly 2. Another one, Reanimator, uh, 1985. That one is, that one has a lot of good effects. <laughs> Who's going to believe a talking head? Or, that's such a good movie. I love that one. That is very comedic as well. 80 sort of lent itself to a lot more comedy than Hills Have Eyes and Texas Chainsaw of the 70s. Well, and I think in the 80s we start to see a lot of, um, Stephen King yes. movies, um, like Firestarter, which I feel like is a total out-of-left-field film. Have you seen that film? I I don't think I have, or it's been a while. It stars Drew Barrymore um, as a child, actually. Really? Yeah, it's the first movie I ever saw her in. My sister actually loves this film. It's about a family 
Well, it's about a um a guy who goes in to get like you know he's like in college and he's like oh yeah come to this thing and I'll pay you money to do an experiment, and he meets his wife there, and um they practice this experimental drug where they can like get powers or whatever. They don't mm. tell them that, but um he ends up with powers, and him and his wife get together and they have a kid and the child also ends up with powers, and um, the company who gave them that goes out to kidnap them because they want to harness those powers so it's you know it's a fan it's a grieving family but it's also running away from this awful place that wants to manipulate them for their powers so the little girl can start fires mm. and the dad can manipulate people's minds so it's it's a very different kind of 80s film i feel like we don't see a lot of those films a lot of those internal struggles and superpowers almost in a way but kind of in a negative way I mean, we could sit here talk all day. We still, you know, Poltergeist, Hellraiser. Oh yeah, Hellraiser. I love Hellraiser. Freaked me out. I don't. I don't remember. I think I saw the third one first. Really? Um, the first one itself isn't the best. The practical effects are good. Storyline's a little crazy. The, the little guy that they pushed around on a cart. He like comes through the door at the end. Do you remember that? No. There's like a big practical effects like sort of worm guy that comes out through the door and they the production team like pushed him around on a cart that was a little goofy but the costumes pinhead the chatterer oh my gosh those those are like iconic and that movie was sort of i guess a beginning of like cosmic horror a little bit of that cthulhu like where did they come from type thing i liked the artifact you know the fact that you have this little box and it's like ooh, it's art yes but it's something so much more sinister and it opens the gate to a world that i don't think that anybody is familiar with i know it's supposed to be hell-ish yes but it's not hell necessarily in the second one they sort of explore it a little more and you get to see what is their hell and it's just like wide open it's like a maze sort of it's just all like concrete it's very weird looking, but it's it's very cool. And you want to talk about like bad endings? Hellraiser one has a goofy ending. They throw the box in a fire, and then a giant bone dragon comes out and flies. No, a homeless man that was throughout the movie walks into the fire, and emerges with the box as a giant bone dragon and flies away. That's so dumb. <laughs> Sorry if anybody's a big fan of that film, but. Great movie. Ending, not so great. You know, and I, I, there's really a lot of films I want to talk about, like Sleepaway Camp. Yes. Man, that's a weird film. Have you seen that film? Yes, I have. Oh, man, the end is just unreal. Yes. And the second one is so bad. Um, there are a lot of those where sequels never quite live up to the first one. I mean, the first one is just crazy. I don't think, there's not a twist ending like it. And it's not something supernatural. It's all psychological. You don't see any of it coming. And I, I don't want to ruin the ending for anyone. That's why I'm being so cryptic. Because it really is worth Yes, that is one I won't ruin the ending for. Because that one you have to see. And um, I actually did have the ending ruined for me before I even watched it. So I will not do that to you. So did I. Um, Pet Cemetery. Another Stephen King. Great movie. Great Children film. Children of the Corn. He just got a recent um, reboot, Pet Cemetery did. And that was pretty good, too. A little bit different than the first, but... Yeah. yeah. Children of the Corn is... 
that one's definitely worth talking about. Um, it's, I mean, who's afraid of children? Honestly, not me. I'm not personally afraid of kids, but there's something about it, like especially that first scene in the restaurant. I mean, also it coming out in the 80s, I think that was a time when parents and their children didn't really connect. There was a bit of a divide between the generations. So that could definitely be scary for parents at the time who maybe are not really connecting with their kids. But now it's like a movie where you have to fear the kids because they're out to get you. Yeah, gives them gives them a little bit of power. Yes. And there's something about those cornfields, I'm telling you. <laughs> cornfields are creepy. Everybody knows, everyone's afraid of the scarecrows. That is true. Jeepers Creepers. Oh, I was trying to think of uh, signs. We're not talking about that era, era yet. I know. But, <laughs> um, yeah, signs. Poltergeist, a little slow. Practical effects were good. Yes. The newer Poltergeist actually kind of condenses it a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, we could sit here and talk all day. We can't talk about every film. We Those are some of the ones we think are influential, but and some of the ones that we relate to personally. You know, like me with Gremlins. And, uh, you know, Gremlins is a Christmas movie, so. Oh, yes. Very lighthearted, not scary at all. Just like Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think we're going to go right into the final kill. Yes, and if you have any horror movies that we missed and you'd like to talk to us about them, you can find us on Creepy Culture at, uh, it's at creepy underscore culture, both with Ks, on Instagram. Send us a DM or something. Maybe tell us if we missed something. Or on YouTube, go in the comment section. Tell us your favorite horror movie. Maybe we missed it. Yeah, definitely. Let us know if we, if we missed something good. Tyler and I love suggestions. Um, so we're going to go into the final kill, and this is the part where Tyler and I give a suggestion. We, um, we talk about so many different films, and I'm sure you haven't seen them all, but we're going to tell you the first couple movies that you should definitely watch. Yes. All right. I, my first pick has to be The Thing. The Thing, John Carpenter, I already talked about it a little bit. Um, that movie... The practical effects, just so fantastic. That movie is great. Kurt Russell, you, you got everything you need. I love that film. And personally, I think it's a great film to start out with, especially if you're unfamiliar with the 80s. Um, I'm going to take my pick, though, from the horror comedy, obviously, because it's me. And um, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I'm sure, you know, honestly, that, that movie's making a comeback. It really is. In I, Spirit Halloween, this Halloween, we saw so much killer clown stuff, and I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I was very surprised. You know, it's, it, you know, it just, you know, got a reboot and everything, but it's nothing like that. Killer Clowns from Outer Space is about aliens who look like clowns. It's not necessarily about just clowns. So, I mean, you got to be ready for something a little bit goofy. It is an 80s film. You can really get that. And the actors are not the best. That one definitely has a bit of comedy in there. Oh, just a little. Just a little. Um, but there's some really interesting concepts for how the um, clowns actually function as aliens. It's, it's <laughs> odd. But I remember really enjoying it. And just it's really easy to watch, especially if you like something a little bit weird. So definitely sit down, find yourself some The Thing and or The Killer Clowns of Outer Space because everybody's watching it, apparently. That's our homework for you. 
Yeah, yeah. Don't forget the thing with Kurt Russell. Yes. It's, it's got to be that version of it. Or the you're first miss out. one is like silver screen. I think it's called the thing that came from outer space yeah. or something. And then there's a there's a newer reboot as well. Oh yes, that one's a prequel. It is less good, but uh, it has Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Not quite as good, and we'll probably talk about it in the next um, in the fifth episode. Yes, we'll talk about it in the next few weeks. So thank you so much for joining us today. And like I said, if you if we missed your favorite movie, let us know. We'll talk about it. And um, well, we hope you did, we didn't scare you too much. <laughs> yes, please tune in next time. We post every Friday. So join us next Friday for horror-themed music. That will be the episode of that week. Have a good night.